everybody. Welcome back to On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today we are going to be talking about horror movie music. What makes music in a horror movie so scary? And how did it get its origins? Where did it come from? How did it start? And how has it evolved from even the silent era of film up until now? We're going to be taking a look at that. And we're also going to be diving deeper into specifically John Carpenter's Halloween film, the first Halloween, because it was so pivotal in how horror movies were made at the time. And it kind of was, in some ways, a blueprint for horror movies to follow thereafter to like, how, how do you make a horror film and how do you make it last with the audience? How do you make that lasting impression with them? We're going to be taking a look all the way back to get a bit of history. You know, movies have been around for a long time, but before there were movies that had voices in them, like actual films with people talking, those were called talkies that would come about in the 1920s before that. Actors would not talk at all. Obviously, if you can think of like Charlie Chaplin was one of them, you can think of Buster Keaton as another one, you know, so even in the silent era of films, which predominantly was at the start of film around the late 1800s up until even in some of the uh, early 1920s, it was all silent film. Even in that era, there was usually, not always, but usually music to accompany the movie. If you wanted to have music in a film back in, let's just say, a 1918 film. So what you would do, you would go to the movie theaters, and usually there would be a pit, like an orchestral pit, down at the front of the theater. And there would be a live orchestra, and they would be playing music that was composed, and they would play the song right from the very beginning to the very end, and it was live. Only, though, a slight few of these silent era movies that were horror movies actually had accompanying music. Music was kind of an afterthought. It was basically just portraying what you would see on film that mattered the most. One of the first examples of a horror movie in this day and age that had music was the 1920s movie, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. The music was apparently so haunting that one audience member is stated to have said this, that the music was eligible for citizenship in a nightmare country. So that's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, back then you could scare the pants off of anybody with just going boo and they'd be like, oh my God, how frightening. So, but that's just one of the early examples of that time period where they would have music accompanying a horror movie. The first time an actual thematic musical score was used for a movie was the 1933 King Kong film. A thematical music score actually means you're taking into consideration the movie, the characters, the plot, and you're creating a theme in the music to go alongside the movie. So King Kong was one of the first to use this kind of musical score. Techniques used in the making of this score would be used as a blueprint for future movies and it would influence horror movies thereafter because King Kong, even though it's not a horror movie, it's definitely kind of a thriller, especially for back then. It was quite different. So it set the tone for how movies, especially with thematical music scores, should be made. So there are two main techniques that were used back then. One of them was called Mickey Mousing, 
where music matches a character's actions. So for example, in a movie, if a creature was to pop out behind a tree in the woods and scare one of the characters, the music might go boom, something like that. Another technique is called limotif. And these were short musical ideas that would signify the presence of a monster or a villain. One of the famous examples of a limotif was used by John Williams, who used these exact techniques for the score of the film Jaws. You know how Jaws, it goes da-da, da-da. Like that's an example of a leitmotif where you're aware as an audience member that the villain or the monster in the movie is right around the corner. The music was to incite this fear-triggering response in the audience. And those are just some of the few examples of techniques that they would use to incite these kind of feelings. One of the more definitely cited examples in horror movie history that really checks the boxes for how do you properly scare an audience, how do you properly convey despair and evil, all these things in a movie? Psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, Psycho. I'm sure we've all seen this movie Interestingly enough, though, Psycho was the first or one of the first examples to use a jump scare tactic because before jump scares were not even really used at all. We use them now, but back then they didn't use those. So Psycho was the first one to use that jump scare tactic. And it also had one of the most famous stinger chords in film history. And stinger chords is another technique that filmmakers will use in horror movies to incite that fear. So example, stinger chords is where a musician would sharply strike a chord um, on their violin or on the piano to add to the atmosphere. So that's another technique that was used in horror movie films. And this is a prime example of how music can really set the tone for a film. Alfred Hitchcock originally wanted the famous shower scene in Psycho to be silent, but the composer decided to write a piece of music using violins for it anyway. So if you can imagine that shower scene not having music at all, I don't think it would have the same impact. I mean, it's not necessarily scary to this standard in history and film, but back then it was certainly very scary. So it set the precedent for how to really bring about that jump scare tactic. So another film that is really popular to use as well as a textbook blueprint in musical scoring is The Exorcist. And The Exorcist is referred to as the most influential horror movies of all time, due in part to the musical score that would go on to inspire countless horror movies thereafter. Even for back then when it came out, I can only imagine how audience members actually saw this. Because again, like, people back then I think were so easy to scare. To be honest, nowadays, we've seen everything. These companies that are making these horror movies really have to rev up the action and the scares in order to actually scare us. So this is where music really comes into play because if you think about it, watch your favorite horror movies without music. I don't think it's going to be as scary as you really think it is. The music really does set the precedent for the whole film. So that's why horror movie music is so important. And a lot of people actually try to protest the release of The Exorcist for being too scary. 
So there you go. Back then in the, when did that come out? 60s, 70s. Yeah, absolutely. They were like, we are not having this. We are protesting. A Polish composer named Krzysztof Penderecki, I hope I said that correctly, created a musical piece called Polymorphia in 1961, and this was the theme of The Exorcist. This piece of music in particular, Polymorphia, would actually go on to be in other horror movies. For example, it would be featured in the 1980 film The Shining. Penderecki said to get that certain kind of sound on the soundtrack, he used what's called tone clusters and sound masses in order to create that kind of um, really suspenseful sound. He cites that a lot of his experimental work was actually inspired by the real-life horrors of World War II. His score for The Exorcist and that piece of music in particular really is, I think, on a pedestal for what good horror movie music should sound like. And another common structure of composing that was used in horror movie music is what's called a tritone. Basically, from my understanding, tritone chords are just chords that have three notes next to each other that really shouldn't be in a normal sounding chord. So these tritones, the clashing sound that you would hear that would come from these tritone chords is what actually gives it its name, which is called the devil's interval. So devil's intervals are used a lot in future horror movie films from this point on since The Exorcist. An example of this was the first Friday the 13th. And I believe the cited example of a tritone, I mean, spoilers, I guess, if you haven't seen Friday the 13th, but at the end, when the film's protagonist, the woman, is in the boat on the river and Jason comes up from the river and he drags her under, that is an example of a tritone. There you go. Another use of creating suspense in horror movies is to put non-threatening and familiar music in certain scenes. So, for example, the use of children singing children's songs, like Ring Around the Rosie or something like that, you know. Children singing just in any capacity would be used a lot because for some reason it's quite scary to have children just singing all in unison, just out of nowhere. So, The Ring, the 2002 film The Ring, uses that element really, really well. The composer for The Shining also used this technique for the theme song of The Shining. The theme song, or at least the song that plays when you first start the movie, it's actually a piece of old Gregorian chanting from the 13th century that was used. So anything that has like religious undertones, childlike undertones, or non-threatening, happy-go-lucky, just normal, familiar undertones that would be used in these kind of weird juxtapositions, that would incite fear as well. So that's another kind of technique that they would use. And also sometimes simple techniques would often produce the best results. For example, like in John Carpenter's film, The Thing, they used a bass to mimic a heartbeat. But in the context of the film, it can really make or break it. It can take it over the top or it can be just right. So pitch bending is another tool that's used in these horror movies where a pitch would start to bend in tone, creating a sense of dread or a sense of loss. So for example, 
pitch bending upwards in tone can achieve the effect of feeling that something is, you know, really intense is about to happen. Pitch bending downwards can create kind of a similar effect where you know that something has been lost or something isn't going right. And using minor chords also is very prevalent. I think we all can kind of agree with that. You know, when you hear a minor chord, you're like, yeah, something's a bit off with that. Like that doesn't sound very normal. Minor chords incite a really uneasy feeling. And so that's another technique that they would use as well. A classic example of this is in the Halloween theme song, which I'm going to mention in a minute going in depth with that. So we went all the way from silent horror films up until the 70s and the 80s. So I just kind of wanted to briefly break down how these techniques have evolved from the 80s and until now. So composing a soundtrack for a horror movie took a turn in the 80s. The vibe for that low-budget sound was at its peak before movie studios would have needed to hire an orchestra for their soundtrack. But back in the 80s, they took that turn. It was now easily accessible for film studios to make their own low-budget score. And even so, sometimes they wouldn't have a budget at all to bring on a professional orchestra to compose a score for them. And so they think, well, I can just do it here at the studio with me and a few of the people here. So that's where in the 80s, you would get a lot of that low budget music in these kind of uh, sci-fi thriller horror movies. And the use of synthesizers started to become really popular. Obviously, it's the 80s. and I think we know that. Um, but synthesizers actually started from the Halloween theme. And that's where it took the precedent forward in the 80s with those kind of scary movies. In the 90s, it took a really interesting turn where it wasn't just composing a score for a horror movie for the sake of creating a theme or a score or a piece of music. It basically was just for the means of trying to sell soundtrack CDs. It was just like songs of the time that they would put in the film. That's basically what it was. It wasn't anything crazy. So that's what the 90s was all about, right? It wasn't about trying to create a thematical composed score. It was just trying to sell CDs. And fair enough, it was the 90s. That's what everyone was doing. But now in the 2000s and currently now in the 2010s and in the 2020s now, it's gotten a lot different to where now instead of using a thematical score and a loud thematical score, we utilize a lot of silence and low frequency noises. I think maybe Midsummer might have had these examples, if I remember correctly, where basically in scenes of high tension or in scenes of inciting dread, uncertainty, just that really weird uncomfortability, like something is off, you wouldn't hear any music. It would be dead silent. And sometimes silence speaks louder than the music. Or they would use low frequencies, like maybe a hum in the background or just an ominous note playing just really low in the background. That is utilized a lot more than a blaring horror movie theme song right in your face. But so that was basically the history of horror movie music. Now we're going to dive deeper, specifically into John Carpenter's Halloween movie theme song. Because I think we can probably all agree that the Halloween theme song is the most famous, well-known, and most popular horror movie theme song of all time. 
It's playing in my mind right now. I think all of you guys know it. And if you don't know it, take a quick listen and then you'll be like, oh yeah, I know that. (laughs) You definitely know it. Let's break down all of this information because it's actually really interesting. So the awesome and talented John Carpenter directed and composed the movie Halloween. He composed the music for the movie. According to John, the movie was written in only 10 days by himself and screenwriter Deborah Hill. It was based on a loose idea by film producer Erwin Yablins. I hope I said that right. Um, The idea was about a killer that stalks babysitters. It was initially going to be called The Babysitter Murders, but Erwin had the idea of making the film based on Halloween night and that the name Halloween would make a better title. And yeah, I would agree. The Babysitter Murders sounds very of its time, but I don't think it would really, I don't think it would really stand the test of time now in this day and age. Even though John had created films before, this was only his third feature film, but this was his first horror movie that he ever made. And so even though he had been around the block, this was still new territory to him. The budget of this film was really low, coming in at around $300,000 for the whole movie. That's to direct the movie. That's for the wardrobe. That's for the music. That's for everything. So this was really, at the time, considered a low-budget horror movie. So he created the film. He directed the film. He did everything he did with it. He showed the film in its entirety without the music to a film executive, and she was kind of indifferent to the film. She wasn't scared at all. She was like, eh, this is just, like, not scary. So John considered this a failure because if it wasn't going to be scary to her, then he considered this that it wouldn't be scary to anybody, and this would be a giant waste of money, and this would be a flop. So John Carpenter was really determined to save the movie. He decided to add a score to the film. So like I mentioned before, right, where that turning point from the 70s to the 80s where you really needed an orchestra to produce your score for your film. If you didn't have that or you didn't have the money, film companies would turn to making it on their own. And so that's what happened here with John Carpenter. There was no money in the budget for an orchestra to come in and create a professional sounding piece for the film. So John Carpenter, he had some background in music production. He was in some bands in his youth. So he knew a little bit about music and how to compose music and how to make music and write music. So he thought he would come up with the music by himself with the help of his friend, music co-producer Dan Wyman. So the two of them um, would just kind of try their best to come up with a theme really quickly. John was inspired by composer Bernard Herrmann, who had created the music for the film Psycho. And Psycho was also the main inspiration for the Halloween movie for its concept and for its musical score. So again, Psycho is just another example of how so popular it is. Um, The Exorcist was also another inspiration for the film. And so Bernard Herrmann, the composer, was an inspiration for the theme of the Halloween song, but also John was inspired by the work of Italian composer Ennio Morricone, and he is known for his popular spaghetti westerns, predominantly, if you can imagine, like, 
those 60s Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns, that's Ennio Morricone. John comments that the musical score for Halloween was actually created in what he called a double-blind mode. Basically, the technology for putting music over a film wasn't invented yet. So what they had to do was they had to create these pieces of music without rehearsing and without syncing them to the running picture to make sure that when they were making the theme and the music that it would run succinct in time with the film. So what they did was they played and recorded the music to a click and a stopwatch, and then they tried to match the music up with the film later. They weren't even necessarily creating the music as they were watching the film. They were just creating the music, and then they were watching the film later, and they were seeing where they can splice and cut in and put this music into the film to make it match. So that's kind of really impressive that they did this. I think they did a fantastic job. So while you might think that maybe the Halloween theme song used a lot of these special techniques that I mentioned before and that the inspiration was so grandiose because of Bernard Herrmann and Ennio Morricone that it must have taken them such a long time to compose this when in reality that wasn't the situation at all. John said that the rhythm for the Halloween theme song was actually inspired by a musical exercise his dad had taught him on the bongos back in 1961, using a 5-4 syncopation, which creates an irregular time signature. That was purposefully done so that, again, it could create that something-is-off-here vibe with the theme whenever you would see the killer, Michael, and that song would play, you would know that, oh yeah, something's off and something's different here and something's really strange. The constant tick-tock sound in the background of the theme song was used as a means to suggest Michael's relentless need to kill. It's just kind of inciting that idea that Michael needs to kill, he needs to keep killing, he needs to kill everybody. So all these things that they culminated together on this theme song was used purposefully to create that sense of dread and that sense of horror and fear from the audience. John was really not afraid to get experimental with the theme song. So because of the scarce budget for the soundtrack, it took two weeks to complete all of the music for Halloween, and it took only three days to create the theme song. That, that really is not a lot of time at all. And luckily, John was right in that the music would save the film because he showed the movie again to the film executive with the newly added score and she was a lot more impressed and like the music literally saved the film. Without the theme song, without the music, without that specific music in the film, we would not have the movie today. We probably would not have seen the movie. It probably would have gotten shelved or the music probably would have been a bit different and it wouldn't have done as well but it's considered a classic. That goes to show the ingenuity of John Carpenter and his quick thinking. He saved the film. So we got to give it up to John Carpenter and his friend, I want to make sure I get his name right, Dan Wyman for co-producing the music. It was just a jaw well done all around. So while John has remained out of the spotlight for many years, he was brought back for the Halloween movie in 2018, the new release. 
he was brought back to do the score for that film. So there you go. It all comes full circle in the end. So this is a quote that John Carpenter said that I just wanted to leave here at the end of the episode because I think it's a really poignant message that he had to leave. So I just wanted to share it with you. There is a point in making a movie when you experience the final result. For me, it's always when I see an interlock screening of the picture with the music. All of a sudden, a new voice is added to the raw, naked without effects or music footage. The movie takes on its final style, and it is on this that the emotional total should be judged. Someone once told me that music, or lack of it, can make you see better. I believe it. Well said by an actual Jedi legend of the film horror movie industry. I think that absolutely speaks for itself. I will let you think about that for a minute because it's true. What he said is really, really true. Um, So that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you guys have an awesome day. And I know Halloween is just around the corner. So I hope you all have a nice, safe, fun Halloween if you're going out trick-or-treating or you're having a Halloween party, or you're just staying at home, doing nothing, eating candy, and watching movies. That's fine. Do whatever you want to do. So I hope you guys have learned something that you didn't know about before. Have an awesome day. Have a safe, fun Halloween, and I will see you guys next week with a new episode. What that's going to be, I don't know, but we'll see when we get there. Have a nice day. Talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.